His power and His glory forevermore to proclaim. That's what we do here at West Highland. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I just want to thank the ladies. Oh, holy night. I want to thank Bettina and that special children's portion. And uh, thank you, Praise Band, for all that you do. I think you ought to put out a greatest hits. I have uh, one request. I had a cancellation uh, for our uh, service this evening. We've got some individuals reading Scripture. And so I would invite uh, you, if there's any of you that feel so led, to touch base with me. And uh, there are no hard words, and very easy, and it has to do with the the Christmas message. So if you would uh, touch base with me right after the service, volunteer, that would be awesome. This morning... As you take a look at, and as we celebrate Christmas, one of my signature slides, you've seen it every time I'm at the pulpit, and we're family. We come here to worship Almighty God, and in addition to that, we are overjoyed at your presence and participation in our services. And it's home, it's where where you belong, home away from home. And I hope that you said when you got up this morning, like the psalmist in 122.1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Another signature slide that you've seen since I've been here, bringing the messages throughout the past several years, and whenever Pastor Tom would invite me, is this one. Personal invitation, Sunday at 945 Another Bible-focused, Christ-centered message packed with biblical principles and insights, truths for daily living. You won't want to miss it. And so I invite you to take your cell phones, take a picture of that, send it to, text it to friends and relatives, and that they might know Jesus and hear this wonderful music and our wonderful proclamation forevermore. Also, who's going to invite us if you don't? I read some statistics that said that 73% of the people you invite would come to church if you invited them. Problem is, sometimes we don't do that. And uh, so spiritual growth, numerical growth, it's all about Jesus. I have a, a hat there. I love Jesus. And the trustee chairman at First Baptist Church of Monroe gave me this hat. And for the last five years, you may have seen me in some of the hardware stores or wherever that I'm at, and I often get this phrase, I like your hat. Well, that's awesome. And when I make further inquiry, there's one problem with that. It shows other people which side of the fence I'm on, but every person that has asked about my hat has, is already a Christ follower. And so I have been responding, what church do you go to? And so that's great, but I'm always looking and asking myself, how can I be more effective for the kingdom work? And so we were in, Leanne and I were in Casa Grande a week ago, which is about an hour south of Phoenix. We were there for a week. And in a restaurant, we saw this individual. And I thought, wow, that is powerful. And so I went up to him and I says, "Um, do you have a lot of people uh, asking you for prayer? He said, all the time. And he said, it's not just individuals who are born again believers in Jesus Christ, people that, you know, they they just need prayer. And they know that there's a God, they know there's something special, they come up and we pray. 
and it gives me an excellent opportunity to witness for the Lord. And so I thought that was outstanding. I'm going to try and do something like that. And I invite you that if you see things out when you're out and about, touch base with me that I might share them with others. We also saw this one. Jesus is the only reason I made it this far. And so had conversation with that individual too. Well, down there in this uh, uh, place that we were at, uh, Palm Creek, there was um, lots of golf carts, the seniors. I mean, they just go, that's all they had drive down there is golf carts. And I saw this one, Got God. Uh, cool, right? Cool. We were worshiping last Sunday at a place called Palm Creek Chapel, about 500 people. I was going to bring the message, but the pastor under the direction of the Holy Spirit, said, we're going to postpone that because I feel I need to bring this one. He said, no problem. And in the message, he shared a PowerPoint slide. And the PowerPoint slide, I asked him if he'd send it to me. I wanted to borrow it. And so, look at this. I thought it was so cool. Santa Claus, I have gifts for everyone. Jesus with the cross, I only have one, but it's enough for everyone. And only Jesus can give you eternal life. Well, following Palm Creek Chapel service, Leanne and I have been down there for the last four years, and we'd always go to Palm Creek Chapel. Then from there, we would go to this church, Cowboy Church. I think I showed you a similar slide back in April. And notice the pulpit. The pulpit is the saddle, and the pastor's Bible is on the saddle. Now, he doesn't get in the saddle, but <laughs> bringing the message behind it. And uh, if you want to be baptized, Tracy does not have, and uh, Lloyd and Michael, they don't have a trough out back. We have a dignified baptismal up here where we have you bring in your bathing suit. And we give you a white robe and be baptized. By the way, if any of you want to uh, be baptized, believer's baptism, see one of the elders, uh, and, but at any rate, here's what they did. Three services, 250 people about in each service, and at the end of every service, they have baptismal. And you just take your shoes off, and you get in the tank. And he, the pastor is the uh, individual with the cowboy hat on, and he will make this statement. Do any of you want to be baptized? And several of them, right on the spot, spontaneity is led by the Spirit. Take her hat off, shoes off, and jump in. And baptism. What a fantastic. Uh, at any rate, we enjoyed it. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. As you recall, we started three weeks ago with hope and then peace, and last Sunday's joy, and today is love. And I'm going to invite you to take your bulletins, if you have them, and join with me a responsive reading. Now, if you don't have your bulletins and the printing is too small, I'm going to put it up here on the big screen. I'm going to read the green and asking you to read the red, if you would, please. So let's, uh, let us begin. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Love the 
Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever loves, lives in love, lives in God and God in him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for that uh, fine reading. I want to focus some thoughts today, making room for Jesus. And if you see in your bulletin, it says no room because I took that as part of our reading, part of our scripture and it says there was no room for them in the end. You, and so that's where I put that. But after I turned it into Kim, it just seemed, I'm a positive type person. I didn't like that uh, title. So I switched it around instead of saying no room. And so last night I changed it to making room for Jesus. I'd like to invite you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And if you don't have a Bible, pick one out in the Pew Bible in our pews, and it's, I think it's on page 782. And while you're turning there, let me, let me make this special announcement, that if there are any of you that don't have a Bible, if you would see me or one of the elders uh, when we're finished, uh, anytime, uh, touch base with us, we will see that you get a Bible. I think it's important that everyone have a copy of God's holy word, the living word. And so, Follow along as I read in uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading and hearing of his word this morning, but more importantly than hearing, that we might absorb principles and truths and insights, and more importantly than that, that we apply them, more importantly than that, we share them with others. You know, during this Christmas season, I am uh, I'm encouraged by the way people act and behave. I don't know about you, but when I see people out and about, it seems like they've changed here uh, for at least a week or so, and most people make a conscientious effort, I think, to act in ways uh, from uh, love and uh, uh, unselfish, and people will open doors for strangers, they'll give their time and uh, uh, gifts, 
greed turns away from generosity and uh, competition bows to cooperation and friction turns to forgiveness? I think maybe you understand. But I want to be very sensitive at this time of the year as well. There may be some of you that have experienced a loss, maybe a loved one, maybe a family member. And maybe there's some who are unemployed, lost their job. Maybe there are individuals who've had relationships that haven't quite worked out the way they had hoped. And you know, life can be messy and a host of other things. So we want to be sensitive to those of you. I don't know all of your needs and those kind of things, but if you need prayer for any of that, see one of the elders uh, after the service, myself, and we'll be glad to have prayer with you. Elvis Presley had a song back in the 60s entitled, Why Can't Every Day Be Like Christmas? I was hoping to have an Elvis Presley tribute artist with us today to be and to sing that just for that special time, but he wasn't able to be here, maybe another time in the future. But I thought I'd share some of the lyrics with you. Listen closely. Why can't every day be like Christmas? Why can't that feeling go on endlessly? For if every day could be just like Christmas, what a wonderful world this would be. Amen? Oh, I love that song. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs that he sings. But the answer to that question is yes. Every day can be like Christmas. Every day should be like Christmas. Why isn't it? Well, maybe we, it starts with each one of us, and we need to demonstrate love and compassion and grace and forgiveness and mercy all throughout the year, not just at this time. So it, it begins with us. You know, tomorrow we celebrate the birth of Christ, and the theological term for the birth of Christ, you may not have heard this term, but it's the holy static union. You say, what? You better know that term is what we call the incarnation. And to incarnate means to put something in fleshly form. And theologically, it is the essence of God's spirit taking the, the form of Jesus. John says it this way in his gospel. He says, and the word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation is a mystery which theologians have pondered for centuries and not able to resolve it. And with them they said it's impossible, you can't take spirit and bring it in the fleshly form. But we know, don't we, the scripture says, with God all things are possible. Amen. Amen. The incarnation was not handed down to us as a theological discourse or debate. The Bible does not try to tell us and work out the minute details. And But, you know, the story is familiar. We've heard it over and over again, and we tell it because it comes a part of us, and we tell our children and our grandchildren. And because, you see, if we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? You're not going to hear it in school. You're not going to hear it out in public. And so we need to pass on Christmas. This morning I want to do three things. I want to look at the prophecy concerning Christ and how it takes place in Bethlehem. I want to examine our text carefully and possibly provide an alternative narrative that well, maybe some of you haven't heard before. And the last one is to focus on a question. A question for the rest of our lives until the Lord brings us into his eternal presence. And that's this. 
How can we make room for Jesus? How can we do that and share making room for Christ? Well, let's look at prophecy. 750 years before the birth of Christ, we take a look at Micah, and Micah says these words, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And then, of course, you remember uh, this uh, famous passage. And Herod, this is Herod here speaking this, he says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what is written by the prophet. And so they knew, and it was supposed to happen in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, you know, we're going to sing it tonight, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Bethlehem, home of Boaz, Ruth, Jesse, David, Jesus. And we know, and I think you know, that Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. You've seen that. You know that. And in John's Gospel, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And what else does Jesus say? Jesus says these words, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then all of us remember the last uh, communion, the last Passover Jesus had with his disciples. What does he say? He says these words, take, eat, this is my body. Bethlehem and an uh, insignificant um, village about five miles southwest of Jerusalem. And uh, it's not some place that you would probably say, this is the birthplace of the king of the universe. You'd probably select Jerusalem or Alexandria in Egypt or Rome or even Capernaum up north in Israel. You probably wouldn't select Bethlehem. But you know, in Bethlehem, there is one site that is more famous and attracts more people than anybody else. It's called the Church of the Nativity. And it's called the Church of the Nativity because they believe that the church is constructed over the place where Jesus was born. If you ever go to Israel, it seems like they, they create a church or a shrine or enclose it in some way. You go to Nazareth, and they'll show you right where Joseph and Mary had their carpenter shop, and all kinds of things like that of historical significance. Well, I thought I'd share with you, there's Leanne entering the church. Notice that in order to get in, you've got to bend over. And I don't know why. I, I forgot to ask why they have it like that instead of regular doors. But at any rate... That's going in. And here's what the Church of the Nativity inside looks like. And, just, uh, and they worship there on a regular basis. Now here's something significant. Up front, behind the altar, you will find the place where Jesus was born. That's where Jesus was born, by the way. And Constantine erected this church 330 years after the birth of Christ. I'm not sure how they figured out that exact spot, but that's tradition, that's history. But of significance 
note, I don't know if it's, you can see it from where you're sitting, there's a hole in the center. And usually they got a flame going there. I don't know why they didn't when I took the picture. But notice there is a 14-point star around that hole. Now you can count them. I've counted them several times. A 14-point star. Do you remember my message three weeks ago, all those names? And we talked about the names in Matthew in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. We shared the names were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to Babylon captivity, and from the Babylonian captivity to Christ, 14 generations. Well, that's where the 14 stars come in. And then... Uh, from the standpoint of sheer demographic significance, you know, many other cities would have been towered over that, but here's what we say. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. And from prophecy we learn where Jesus was to be born. Well, how do we get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth down to Bethlehem just at the right time. Do you remember what Proverbs 21.1 says? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And so it was no big deal for the Lord to put in the heart of Caesar Augustus. We need to take a census, get, the, get, the, get them back to their town of origin. Well, that happened. That happened. And so, puts, well, just that's how the Lord did it. I want to share with you and ask you a question. What's the traditional view of our passage today? The traditional view, which I grew up with in Sunday school, and probably most of you did with minor variations, is that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. They got to Bethlehem just in time. Mary is ready to give birth, so they go to the public lodging, they go to the public inn, and the innkeeper says, there's no room, but I do have some stable room out back where you might have some privacy. And so perhaps most of you have, have heard that and uh, uh, been raised up with that like myself. And I want to share with you, there's an individual by the name of Dr. Ken Bailey. He is a Middle Eastern scholar and uh, New Testament scholar and I met him about 25 years ago in Brighton at the Presbyterian Church because he had been invited there to share his views on what maybe things really happened. And here's what he says. There was no public inn. There was no lodging. There was no innkeeper. And there was no stable. And that's what he says. And I thought, wait a minute, that doesn't match up with what I have uh, uh, learned. And so we take a look at the Greek. First of all, they didn't just get there in time because it says while they were there. So Mary and Joseph had been there. We just don't know how long. And then no room for them in the inn. So I share this with you. No room, room meaning topos. And from the Greek word, we get topological and it means space or area. So you don't think in terms of a room with walls and a ceiling. Think in terms of space. We don't have enough space up here on the platform for whatever. 
And then the room for in here is called Cataluma. It means a guest room. It means a guest room. And uh, so if you put those together, there was no space in the guest room for Mary and Joseph. Now, where was a guest room? Upstairs, on top, usually. No space. It had already been full. It's already full. And so we ask ourselves, is that word, Cataluma, used in Scripture elsewhere? Glad you asked. Yes. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, we have these words. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples to say to the owner of the house, listen carefully, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? Cataluma. And where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. So in both instances, Luke is using Cataluma to refer to a guest chamber. Now who's Luke? Dr. Luke, he's a physician. And he's putting pen to parchment under the authorship of the Holy Spirit, and he is very precise and articulate in his description of what takes place. And so, well, do we have in used another time? Well, I'm glad you asked that question again. Absolutely. We have one called Pandokian. And Pandokian is referred to in Luke chapter 10, verse 37. An innkeeper is mentioned here. It's the only place in Scripture it's mentioned. And you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? He takes the guy that's been beaten, almost beaten to death, takes him and tells the innkeeper, I'm going to give you two denarii, and you take care of him, and uh, I'll, I'll give you any more that you need. Well, Dr. Bailey says that Mary and Joseph would never have gone to a public lodging because it was just one huge room, not divided into stalls or other rooms, and people just laid all over the place. Totally inappropriate for Mary to give birth to a child in, in that scenario. And so with that understanding... Uh, I think we need to look for a clue as to what might have happened. Manger is the key word here. They had a one-room dwelling, and I would keep that in mind, and this one-room dwelling, people would bring their animals, maybe a cow, maybe a donkey, maybe a sheep, in at night to prevent theft and uh, keep the house warm. Um, so how do we know that, that it was a one-room structure? Listen to what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.14. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the room. If there are a bunch of rooms in the house, that light could not give light to everyone in the room. So we're talking about a one-room structure. Now I'm going to take you to 1 Samuel. Do you remember the Witch of Endor? And the uh, uh, King Saul comes to ask her to bring forth Samuel. He wants to consult with Samuel. Here's what it says. The witch of Endor had a fattened calf in the house. 22 Bible versions that I checked say in the house. That's significant. Now I'm going to take you to Judges for a second, and let's read this scripture. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, 
whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph of the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Well, the Ammonites were given into Jephthah's hand, and he was a judge in Israel for about six years. Listen to the next passage here right there in verse 34. When Jephthah returned to home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? She was an only child, and except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and devastated. I, I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. I want you to notice the word it. He was not expecting his wife. He was not expecting his daughter to come out the house. He was expecting a cow, a donkey, a sheep, and he was going to sacrifice it to the Lord. And so we have animals in the house. They were kept inside the, the single residence, and the manger was in the living room. The manger basically divided this one-room house where they kept animals on one side and the living room in the other. So Dr. Bailey says, and this is his narrative, seems to make sense to me, that Mary and Joseph, when they went to Bethlehem, stayed with some relatives, but couldn't stay in the inn or the guest chamber because there was no room. It was filled up. And so they were welcomed into a home by one of their relatives. And Mary gives birth, puts the baby in the manger. And so that's one of the things that they talk about. And so Jesus welcomed into a family and perhaps not as all of us think about, pushed back in a stable out back someplace. And sometimes we think about the stable of our lives. And I've got a question for you. Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room for Jesus? There are some who say, of course we've got room for Jesus. We're here today. We're in church every Sunday. We participate in Bible study on Wednesday nights, and we attend the prayer group of the warriors. Our tithe and offering equal more than 10%. And there are individuals willing to give their time and their talents uh, uh, to the Lord and many other characteristics of the congregation here. And by the way, I want to applaud all of you. I have been in six churches, and West Highland is the gold standard. The congregation, I, you, you would have to be in some other churches to be able to appreciate, but I, appreciate, I hope you appreciate West Highland and the people here. They just do so much. But you know, there are some people that don't have room for Jesus. Some don't have room. And as I pondered that thought, I asked, why don't people have room for Jesus? And you might come up with a list, but here's what I thought about selfishness, inconvenience, greed, too many possessions, pride, <laughs> I can't be seen going to church, and maybe time, I'm too busy. Give me a break, Pastor. I work five days a week. I, I, I need the weekends for me, myself. Maybe wrong priorities. I want to do other things on Sundays. Lack of knowledge. Do you know what Hosea 4, 6 says? My people... My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. There are some individuals outside these four walls that don't know about Jesus. They don't know. They don't have any knowledge. 
and we have an opportunity. We have a responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, teaching them. My son, Derek, a number of years ago, he got up about uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, and he wanted to go to Brighton and to one of the stores that were going to be opening very early. And later he shared that he got there and the line was halfway around the store. And I was thinking, why is it that we don't have people on Sunday morning standing in line to get in our church? Why doesn't that happen? Why is it, uh, well, for Derek, that store had something he wanted. Well, I began to think, what is it about us that people don't want to come in and, and have what we have? I want you to think about that and process that. Why don't people want to come into our church and have what we have? Is it because they don't want what we have? Well, at any rate, we'll process that later. You know, another room that I, that I processed in, in terms was something called headroom. There are people that have headroom, the intellectuals. Uh, they've heard the stories maybe over and over again of Jesus and his love. They know about Jesus. They've memorized maybe scripture. And uh, if they can't understand it, if they can't figure it out, if it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't fit into their paradigm, their worldview, then they can't believe it. They have information upstairs. Now we need to get it downstairs to the heart, which I'm going to call heart room heart room. And those individuals are filled with the knowledge and understanding, but they have another component. They care. They are compassionate. They are loving. They are forgiving. And all the other attributes that you normally associate with a, with a Christ follower. And then I think there's another room that we need to be involved with. Not only head room, heart room, but living room where we live out our, our faith where we take all the elements, put them together, live them out. We apply it to our lives. And uh, I want to share and, and, and put the Christmas story today in, in another different flavor. Let's, let's bring it up to contemporary times. What if Mary and Joseph came to your house and you saw she was great with child, would you give them the guest room? Would you give them the room in the garage? Would you welcome into your house? Because you know, there are many Mary and Josephs in our world with pregnant problems and pregnant situations, and they may not know who to turn to. You may be the only person that can help them. At the end of his life, there was only one room for Jesus. Do you know where it was? Cross room. Cross room. Jesus took your room and my room on the cross that we might have room in eternity. And not just for this day, but let's make room for Jesus in every room, every area of our life. Again, not just today, this week, this month, this year, but again until Jesus calls us home into eternity. Let's take the responsibility and show others how to make room for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, the birth of whom we celebrate. And Lord, help us, help each one of us to take a message of Jesus 
live it out, apply it, and share it with others that others might have room for Jesus and we might share the gospel message with those who don't know you. And help us to be faithful in this. Help us to figure out ways in which we can be more effective for the kingdom work. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.